This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast, courtesy of the Blood Red channel. I'm Josh Williams and I'm joined by David Hughes and Dave. We're actually in the office today, mate. First time since the whole COVID pandemic hit. But as a result of current resources, we're in separate rooms, um, which I think sums yeah. up the current state of life. Yeah, it's, it, it is making me laugh because you're literally 20 steps away. And uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, back in the, the last time we were here, we were back in the studio and we were previewing um, the Atletico Madrid Champions League game. And it was all. I actually remember saying on that show, oh, it looks like we won't be in the studio for a few weeks here. And there we are, a year and a half, and uh, back in the same building, but not in the studio. So, yeah, strange one, difference, but, you know, uh, good to see you in, in person again anyway, mate. Yeah, so, um, you know, even, even though I know the answer to this, how are you today? How are you getting on? Yeah, good, mate. Yeah, it's, uh, it's good to be home. Well, back in Liverpool anyway. Um, you know, we used to do it regularly, didn't we? We used to meet up a couple of times a week in the office, uh, see, see the Echo Gang. and I've been able to do that, but we're doing it now and it's uh, it's good to catch up with everyone. So, yeah, good. Yeah, well, today's first podcast ahead of what promises to be a busy, busy period for Liverpool. Um, we have, obviously, the Christmas break coming up. Uh, the Christmas period coming up, sorry. So, we're going to look at Arsenal. We're going to look at what happened. We're going to look ahead to Southampton. And before we get into the major Christmas period, we're going to have a little look at the kind of state of play in the Premier League at the minute, just a general overview of the numbers and things like that. Maybe make a few predictions and things, but we'll see how we go. Uh, but we'll start with Arsenal, Dave. So, uh, thoughts on the game generally? I mean, it was yep. it, it was the typical Arsenal, you know, 4-0 drubbing, really, wasn't it? It was, you know, fitting with the current theme of the past couple of years, really. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was. I mean, this is a statistic that you know most probably heard on commentary or in the days since, but it did make me laugh that. And I think this was going into the game. Uh, Liverpool had handed, I think, uh, Arsenal had maybe lost by a four goal margin 10 times in the Premier League, and five of it was against Liverpool. Uh, obviously, you can make that six now after Saturday's result, but yeah, strange because you know, and this won't be a fresh angle on the, on the game, but. It was a very, uh, very slow start. Um, you know, a very, a very quiet game initially. Uh, neither side really taking control, and then, of course, the stuff happens on the side, and it, it wakes Anfield up a little bit, um, and then it becomes a bit of a, uh, a bit of a mauling, really. You know, loads, loads of loads of chances created by Liverpool, Arsenal really struggling to to progress through the thirds of the pitch. Um, often playing into Liverpool's hands as well, um, and it ends up finishing, you know, not only a comprehensive win from a scoreline point of view, but from a performance point of view as well. It was a uh, very one-sided. Yeah, I was actually a bit curious as to why Liverpool started like that. To be honest, I was a little bit weirded out by. Um, it felt like we were showing Arsenal a lot of respect, which is, I think. Justified a little bit compared to previous years. This is probably the best Arsenal team I've seen in a few years, which doesn't say much for what they've been in the past few years. Mm. Um, but I thought Liverpool were playing really, really cautiously in the first half and um, moving the ball very, very slowly. Uh, the kind of thing that would maybe do if we were facing like a Man City and we were really, really conscious of getting getting counter attacked or whatever. 
I was wondering maybe on the back of that, do you think it stemmed from obviously the last game Liverpool played, got beat 3-2 by West Ham, and there's been generally a bit of a narrative around Liverpool as to whether Liverpool are keeping control of games enough. So in the, in the first half, I was watching that and I was thinking, we're playing a bit slow here, we're playing a bit cautiously within ourselves, but I was thinking maybe it could be a product of Liverpool just really wanting to establish control ahead of this busy period. Yeah, I think that's a really good shout, actually. You know, if you think those initial 30 minutes, uh, maybe, and we're guessing, obviously, but could they, could they have talked before the game being, let's just make sure we do establish that control, take no chances, fewer risks, and then hopefully grow into the game and start imposing ourselves uh, more from an attacking point of view. And you'd have to say, whether it was premeditated or not, we don't know, but that's obviously how the game's panned out. We've got the benefit of hindsight now. I do think, obviously, the stuff on the touchline certainly um, lit the fire, didn't it, um, within the stadium. Um, I wonder if Arteta would have regretted getting involved in all that afterwards. Because uh, so, well, are, are you one of them who who's in favour of that? Then, yeah, are you are you a believer of that? Then, because uh, yeah, one hundred percent, yeah, yeah. I do that, think that, it, was, uh, that was a narrative after the game, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, I, I do, yeah, I do. I think it's uh, it's it's easier to, especially for a team like Arsenal, who, who, who want to try and you know play play out the back, play through, uh, see a lot, see a decent amount of the ball. I think if you've got um, if you're at an Anfield, that's maybe a little bit more tepid than usual. Not as hostile. Um, that that plays into your hands a little bit. Obviously, it it, it becomes more hostile after that, uh, and becomes a little bit more difficult, a little bit more pressured uh, when you're on the ball, uh, when you're being pressured by uh, obviously Liverpool players and got the crowd on your back. It just changes the environment a little bit. And I think that's what happened in the final hour of the game, and Arsenal, you know, noticeably struggled as we know from from the goals that they conceded and and, and the struggles they had trying to get out from the back. Are yeah, you not a believer? Been... No, I think I am, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. But, but I think I, I don't think that was the sole reason why Liverpool ended up winning the game or whatever. But I do no. think it kind of sparked the game into life. I think the, those things can have an effect. And certainly the crowd, you know, the Anfield crowd, we know what, the, what it can deliver and things like that. So I do think it, it did spark a bit of noise and it made that Anfield a bit more into the pressure cooker that we know it can be. Um, and as a result, strange things can happen on the back of that, really. But I must say, I was a little bit surprised by by Arteta and his reaction. I didn't have him down as one of them, to be honest. Um, obviously, he used to play for Everton, Dave, and things like that. But he's, uh, he's always come across to me throughout his career as just very, very cool, very, very level-headed, very calm. So to see him lose his, lose his rag like that a little bit, and it wasn't just one side. It was, he, he lost it, kind of screamed in his face, but then wanted a bit more and then wanted a bit more again. So it wasn't out yeah. of character, I thought, but... Worth against him in the end. I think he does have that edge a little bit too. Uh, and I, I think what you've got to remember as well when you're the manager, there's a lot of uh, outside pressure that, that influences it. But um, I do remember one time, another fairly emotional game at Goodison Park when he was at Arsenal and uh, I think Ross Barkley or someone pushed him over uh, and he really saw red with that. Uh, so I think he definitely has that edge. But um, on the whole, 80% of the time he's got a cool persona, I guess. It's a good act. Yeah, I mean, he seemed, he seemed to get initially uh, a bit riled up by, by Sadio Mane, who, who went for a head challenge, seemed to lead a little bit with his elbow, and I think Arteta was concerned that he did that, that he'd done that twice. Um, so I think Sadio Mane, in, in particular, his first half, Dave, was the weirdest half I've ever seen, I think. Um, yeah. 
he was playing like he was playing with his mates in, in the street because you you know he apparently was playing with a smile on his face, but also leaving something on loads of loads of opposing players. Like at least at least two of them, Ben White comes to mind as well. Um, he was giving the ball away and things like that, and then he ends up scoring as well. So it it was a very very weird half. I thought for Sadio Man, he got booked as well. I think he let he left one on a player off the pitch, which I thought was quite bad actually. Yeah, second half was a little bit quieter, but just overall very weird performance in the first half. I thought. Yeah, yeah, which maybe just sums up what what that first certainly the first half of the first half was a, quite strange. Um, and I, I don't know. I don't know what caused it. Uh, coming back international break, I don't know. It's it, it's really hard to pinpoint uh, what was the cause of that. But I agree, it was a strange half. And I think if if the luck was against you a little bit more, you know, maybe if it was away from home, for example, that could have been the, the type of you know first thirty minutes or first half performance where you you find yourself uh, on the on the on the bad end of a refereeing decision and potentially off the pitch. Um, I must say, I'm not trying to say that I think he should have been sent off. Uh, I'm just making the point that you do run that risk, don't you? So, I agree, it was strange, but obviously you get the goal and it, it changes the outlook a little bit. Yeah, I mean, if you if you check the um, the XG timeline for the match, the race chart, it does. T- Liverpool do receive a significant boost in the second half, basically. Um, you know, Arsenal obviously started to... I think they started to just sink a little bit. They started to play out as they were doing in the first half, but they started to do it almost without thinking. Players started making mistakes. Um, Serieta's on the ball. And it allowed Liverpool to do what they've, what they've always been very, very good at, but just gradually under Klopp, they've been allowed to do less simply because teams don't let them do it. But Liverpool started to gain inroads through pressing, um, which is which was nice to see because, as I said, it's been it feels like it's been a while since we saw Liverpool really press I'd see him into the ground like that. Um, but obviously Liverpool gained, gained plenty of inroads through that. And, um, I think it, w- w- when I did the Arsenal pod last week for the Arsenal end of, of the of the podcast, uh, Football London, I did ask the, the Arsenal lad at the time, do you think Arsenal will, will persist building from the back throughout, throughout the match? And he, he was convinced that they were just going to keep doing it, they were going to keep doing it. Um, but I think in the second half, it definitely played into Liverpool's hand and it allowed Liverpool to just be what they originally were under Klopp, which was a you know a counter-pressing side that, that generated scoring opportunities from that. Yeah. If I, look, the biggest criticism I've had of uh, Arteta's Arsenal is I think there is an element of predictability to the, to the way they play. Um, there isn't always a, a plan B. Um, you know, he has a clear identity and philosophy in mind. And that is being a team who, you know, do look to play out from the back, uh, play through the thirds and obviously create or try to create opportunities doing that. The problem is you, you have got to know your opponents a little bit. And the thing, with, with Liverpool, and you, I, you did kind of touch on it a little bit then, but Liverpool didn't really stop being very good at pressing because... Uh, they declined in ability to do so. You know, it was is it it was as a result of what opponents were doing. You know, not giving them that much space, not looking to play out, not looking to take too many risks. So ine- inevitably, what Liverpool kind of evolved to is this. You know, more ball dominating side. Uh, you know, who tend to dominate territory as well, play high up the pitch. Um, Arsenal kind of give them the opportunity to show that they're still capable of doing the other side of things, the, the pressing side of things, and. 
um, it, it it pretty much played into the hands, especially in that second half when they, they turned it on a little bit and and Arsenal didn't really know what to do because they didn't have that alternative option. Didn't have it. Didn't have that. Didn't have that plan B to you know to play it long, clear your lines, get up the pitch a little bit, play it safe for a while, and obviously it, they, they kind of conceded a. Um, an important goal in the game. I think it was the second, wasn't it? Jota's where the balls turned over. You know, that's that's that was a big goal in the game when the scoreline's one nil. Um, second goes to the home side, and, and and that's normally that, and it proved to be the case here. So it was costly for them. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. Well, you mentioned there about you know doing your homework and things like that when it comes to your opponents and things. I don't know what you're saying in terms of. Um, you know, turnovers and stuff like that. Because if you look at the season so far, look at the numbers on the pressure side. Um, high turnovers. So high turnover, you can, people can probably visualise in the mind now what a high turnover is anyway. But I'll, just for reference, high turnover is basically a sequence that starts an open play and begins um, 40 metres or less from the opponent's goal. Now, so far this season in the Premier League, Liverpool are top of the Premier League for that, um, in terms of shots ending high turnovers, and high turnovers anyway. For high turnovers, Liverpool have posted 139. Second best is on 113. In terms of shots, Liverpool have generated 26 shots through high turnovers. Second best is on 20. So I think, you know, when you're going into a, a match against a team like that, who are quite obviously capable when it comes to generating shots through pressing, I do think there's an element in there of, I don't know, the, the way pragmatism does come to mind, even though it's a little bit age-old English football type stuff. I think, I'm not saying Arsenal should go long and things like, bad, like that, but just a bit a bit more variety than they showed, I think, particularly in the second half when it comes to building from the back. I think there was a few moments where, in particular, Tommy Yasu was just put under unnecessary pressure when he just clearly didn't want the ball in those areas and things like that. And yeah. I'm not sure I what he could have done. Gosh. Yeah, for me, I think it's game management. So, you know, it, 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 it doesn't need to be a case of you need to throw everything out the window in terms of your philosophy and start, you know, pumping it long for this game because of how good Liverpool are. But I just think it's about managing uh, moments of the game. You know, maybe right for the next 10 minutes, we're under the cosh a little bit, the crowds up. Let's not invite any pressure on ourselves. Let's just go back to basics for 10 minutes ride the storm almost and then you can kind of when things you know start to settle down you can revert, revert back to the game plan and start playing how you've been you know playing all season but again that's is it naivety would you would you say it's a little bit naive in Arteta's part it did feel a bit naive but then at the same time you could come at it with the argument that you know if Arteta is is taking Arsenal on this journey and they're going to continue developing for years you could argue that this was a bit of a this could be deemed as a bit of a lesson, a bit of a learning curve for them, but almost an intentional lesson where Arteta went into the game almost knowing, okay, we could struggle here. But if you if you stick with your way and you kind of come through it, or even if you come through it with a defeat, you've kind of come up against the best years there in terms of the whole high pressing type stuff. So I do think there's an element of from Arteta's perspective playing as you usually would and almost using it as a bit of a, I don't know, a, a test, a development curve, you know, that sort of thing. Just put them through it almost in with the, with the perspective of 
um, trust the process and one or two seasons down the line, they'll be very, very good at that and they'll they'll, they'll see the evolution because they might be able to play through it a little bit better or, or that sort of thing. Yeah, I and I, I agreed. Maybe that is the way I looked at it, but for me, I'd still I'd still criticise it uh, because I think it's you know it's about picking up points at the end of the day, and I wouldn't say Arteta's in the safest of positions. I, I know he's not, you know, on a on the chopping block, so to speak. But I think definitely there's still a large portion of that fan base who aren't fully convinced, and I think there wouldn't have been too much criticism from them uh, if they were to maybe adapt things slightly to pick up points um, but obviously didn't do that and they come out on a really heavy defeat that ended what was quite a good run of form beforehand Yeah, just a little bit on the numbers for the game then, uh, Liverpool took 19 shots again you know, 19 shots is quite inc- 19 shots seems to just be an average for Liverpool to just post every week but I need to stress that 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 is a high amount of shots every game now. Mm. Arsenal, for the better respect, have posted five. Um, and sadly, for this get for this episode, FBF is currently having a bit of a few issues, a few problems. But I'm pretty sure the expected goals, Dave, for this game without a penalty was four point three for Liverpool. Um now I'm I'm sure we spoke a few weeks back, right? When Liverpool posted, I think it was three point nine. Might have been against United without a penalty, and we were stressing how high that is. Four point three Liverpool posted against Arsenal. Um, you know, it's, yeah. it's a guaranteed win, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, even you know, if, you, if we revert to understaff, they probably if three point nine seven. So, you know, in the same ballpark, and yeah, it's very high, especially without a penalty, as you say. You know, that's a kind of guarantee. Point seven five, isn't it? That normally. Uh, not not stab stab pads it, but it certainly bumps up a figure. But to not have one in there just shows that it was an extremely um, dominant perform performed to go with what was a um, dominant scoreline, and that's not always the case. Sometimes you'll see four nils, and it was a lot tighter than suggested. But um, definitely, you know, it was it it was it was a worthy scoreline on this occasion. Josh, I'm just have a quick look now, actually. Um, and yet, you know, you were saying see, Liverpool seems to be posting that every week. Did the average so far uh, for Liverpool in terms of shots generated per 90 is 19.4, which is obviously, believe it or not, the highest in the league. Uh, City on 17.8. But, I mean, yeah, if, if we go to middle of the road, uh, Brentford, they're on 12. So that's like that. You, you could argue maybe that's kind of middle of the road average twelve per ninety in Liverpool doing nineteen point four so far. So you know that's an indication as to how dangerous they've been attacking Mars this year. Well, if you if you go into um the the shooting stats on FBF and if you look at expected goals for the season, excluding penalties, the top player for expected goals this season is Mane. Second top is Salah, and third top is Jota. And, yeah. th- and this is this is the whole of the Premier League. So mm-hmm. th- Liverpool's three forwards <laughs> at, at top three for expected goals in the whole league. Then you've got Vardy, Antonio, Josh King, fully enough, Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, but Liverpool's, I mean, th- this th- this is right up there with the best I've seen Liverpool's attack this season. We just look so likely to score every single game, um, usually more than once as well. Yeah. But on the back of the performance. Um, I think one particular player who seemed to stand out was Ox. 
uh, against his former team, funnily enough. I mean, we, we seem to speak about him, don't we, fairly frequently, considering he doesn't get on the pitch very often. But he is a frustrating one, isn't he? I mean, one issue I've got with this performance is beforehand, I would have predicted this because this is the kind of team he probably would have been able to thrive against. Do you know what I mean? So I'm not that surprised that he played He played well. Um, my, my thing would just be, go and do it again. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so I remember last time we spoke about him and I it, um, it was either... I think it could have been maybe post Porto, um, and then West Ham followed. And I think he, I, you know, I, I know there was a few, but I'm pretty sure. I hope I've got my games right there. But he had a pretty bad performance, uh, and it felt very typical of him to follow up a good one with a bad one. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe he benefited, as you say, from the opposition. Uh, you know, obviously a, a big, a big fixture for himself emotionally uh, coming up against his former club. Also, as we've just spent ten minutes talking about how Arsenal approached the game. You know, if you think of when he was at his absolute best, everyone always refers to the kind of 2017, 18 years uh, where Liverpool were a little bit more that kind of pressing, pressing machine. Uh, he's a kind of chaotic player, isn't he? Really aggressive and stuff. He thrives in that system, uh, and that turned into that kind of system a little bit on Saturday, which played into his hands. So I guess that's that's um, one of the key contributors to why he done well. Um, the problem is, Josh, as you've just touched on consistency, you know, would you still have confidence if, if I was to say to you, he's going to start the next three games? And would you be confident that he's going to, you know, be one of the star performers? You probably wouldn't. Well, this is what's difficult about it, because I, I am a bit torn as to whether this performance was a product of the the opposition or whether this performance was a product of him now being able to get some form of rhythm. Um, you know, Klopp speaks about rhythm all the time um, and Ox hasn't really been able to get it. And the, the, the certain players in the Liverpool squad who don't play very well unless they've got rhythm, I think Thiago in particular he seems to play awful whenever he comes on as a sub. Um but whenever he starts the game, it's a different story. Um, and I think Ox, obviously, he's a, he's a player who, who is kind of of that nature, like a momentum-type player, isn't he? He's, he's, he's a, a force of nature at times when he's when he's playing really, really well. Um, so I am a little bit torn as to whether it's just Ox getting in the swing of things or if it was just Ox coming, coming up against an opposition that allowed Liverpool to play as they used to. Because I think yeah. Ox was well-suited to that. Back in the day, you know, when it was Liverpool being a chaotic, um, high-pressing team, aggressive, physical, whereas now Liverpool are a bit more, bit more controlling, bit, bit, bit slower, a bit more cute, certain things like that. And Ox is more of a force, I think. So I'm a little bit torn between both posts there. Mm, yeah, yeah, I agree. It's, it's, it's a get. I mean, we got Southampton next, so. Maybe that's not the uh, the best fixture, is it? So it'd probably be another one of those more game uh, games where Liverpool are going to control things. Um, maybe that would be a, a little bit better. Uh, to a bit more of an acid test for his profile in particular. Yeah, I mean, I looked at the numbers around the game. Obviously, not available at the minute because FBF playing games, but. At the time, he, Ox finished top for Liverpool on the day for pressures. I think he posted 19. 
No Liverpool play, player posted that amount. And I think he only played 75 minutes. So, again, it was his type of game. What I will say is, I was a piece of both early in, the, early in the week. I was asked to do it by the echo, I think. Um, but one element I think you could throw in there is this was Ox's... I don't think it was his first, but it, it felt like his first start next to Thiago. Um, and if there's one thing I don't think Ox does particularly well with, it is control. If there's one thing Thiago does do particularly well with, it, it's control. So I think there's an element of there of moving forward. If Ox's partner is Thiago with, with Fabinho behind him, I do think you have a, a very nice blend of skills there. I think where Thiago's weak, Ox is strong. Where Ox is weak, Thiago's strong. Yeah, a little bit of yin and the yang. Fully enough, that's how I concluded my piece. My piece concluded oh, with a line on yin yang, yeah. Um, but, you know, we, we talk about that quite a lot, don't we? A, a balance of different skills, in, particularly in midfield, when you've got like a trio or you've got a double pivot. You want yeah. one player to do certain jobs and you want the other player to be able to do what he can't do. Yeah, exactly that. You want um, you know different contributors to a, well, there's a collective at the end of the day, isn't it? Um, and you need different facets to that to for to be successful. Uh, I do agree with your point. Actually, I think if you think of what both those players offer, there is a little bit of a uh, a nice blend there. You know, it could be something that works in the future. Again, still not fully convinced that's um, it's it's going to work out for Oxley Chamberlain. Um, I probably I'm probably someone who's expecting it, him to move on in the next, you know, year or two, but um I think he's got a contract due up anyway. So it'll be interested to see what happens there. Uh, but if he does kind of find his feet and find some consistency, then maybe playing alongside Tiago is the answer. Yeah, it's one to watch, but I think it's I think naturally we we're a little bit skeptical as to whether he'll keep it up, but hopefully he does because when he does play well, uh, you you know he's on the pitch basically. Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. So, in terms of Southampton, then Dave, looking forward, uh, thoughts on this season? You know what, Josh? Right beyond what um, prepping for the show, I kind of don't feel like I've paid that much attention to them. Um, and you know, I had a little look a bit when they when they lost things and what they were doing in the market to replace them. You know, bringing in like some Armstrong and things, but. Yeah, you know, if you look at the table, they've been kind of middle of the road. Um, you know, some decent uh, results, some pretty nothing ones. I think they've hit a little bit of form over the last kind of few weeks. But yeah, they're a lot of the same old with Southampton. I feel like when we preview them, uh, I and mean, obviously we've done done so a few times on the show, they're very much the, the, the same team. You know, obviously consistent with the margin and stuff for the last few years as well. Um, so yeah. I think for me, I, I am a little bit surprised by how well they're doing and they're not doing that well but I'll be honest at the start of the season before the season started I I throw on the odd little maybe season long bets just to see how, how things play out and I predicted them to go down I didn't predict them to go down but I put a, I put a line on them for, for them to go down just because I thought it was a possibility one of the reasons I thought it was a possibility was um at the start of, sorry, last season, the second half of last season. Uh, so, yeah, I've been a little bit, bit surprised by Southampton um, because I didn't think they'd do this well. Not that they're doing specifically I mean, very well in, in any way, really. They are, as you say, mid-table. But 
I, I put a little bet on him to go down <laughs> at the start of the season. Um, not that I thought it was going to happen, but just that I thought it was a possibility. Um, one of the reasons I did that is because last season, if you if you look at the second half of the season on its own, um, they picked up the I think the fewest points in the league. I think I think they had the the lowest points total in the whole of last season in the second half. Yeah, not not that I specifically thought that they'd go down. But just if you look at their second half of last season in isolation, I think they finished bottom of the seat, bottom of the league um, for total points. Just had a, a, a bad end to the season. In the summer, they sold Danny Ings, who was obviously entitled to how they picked up points and how they scored goals. So I just had a feeling potentially they could get sucked in. Um, but it just hasn't been the case. They've been relatively okay. And I think the summer recruitments in particular, Dave, it looks it looks generally decent, even though I thought they were make, taking a few risks, getting getting young players in like the Livermento and Brogier and getting Armstrong in from the championship and stuff, but they've all contributed fairly well so far. Yeah, they have, yeah. And they've they've become kind of important first team players as well. Uh Livermento always looks like a fan one of the better buys of the whole transfer window, really, when you consider what they paid and things. And uh, you know, he looks like he'd probably go on another level over the next year or two. Um and yet, the only thing I find frustrating with Southampton is they just seem to be a very kind of, you know, fits and scoffs type type of side. Like they just seem to go on both positive and negative runs, uh, which is why they always kind of finish somewhere mid table. Uh, you know, sometimes lower mid table depending on how the campaign goes. But uh, it'd be good, I think, if they could just get a bit more consistency. And you know, if, when they do hit hit a bit of a a low results wise, if Hasselhoven kind of has a plan to to stop the rot almost uh, I think that's how that how they progress again and go that kind of um that next level um but yeah the 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 they have bought pretty well this year to be fair uh transfers that kind of made sense um Armstrong for example you could that you could make sense from that and um yeah so yeah so you're making me laugh to hear Josh. <laughs> Sorry, do you know what? I, yeah. I'll be totally honest with the listeners, right? Yeah. You've just done your little your harsh and huddle line as well, again. <laughs> oh, did I? Okay. I you could have flagged it too, didn't you? Oh, no. Yeah. Um, but we'll move we, on. We anyway. probably put could... context on that for people who, uh, who don't really know <laughs> what, what that's about. Yeah. Is it mate, or something? <laughs> yeah, Dave has a notorious struggle when it comes to pronouncing Sumacats and when it comes to pronouncing Haas and Hull. Um, yeah. If you want to know what he said in terms of Haas and Hull, just rewind it back about five minutes. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I was struggling there. <laughs> uh, but yeah, just on the mental mate, I, I think he's very, very good. You know, I think it's mm-hmm. incredible that he's 18 years old. And I think it's absolutely mad that Chelsea have just sold him. I know they've, they've, they have got a buyback on him, in fairness. But if he's at Liverpool, he is absolutely staying and Liverpool are making a first team and into him. I know it's a bit difficult when you've got Trent around and obviously Chelsea have got Reese James around and things like that. But that Livermento at the, at the age of 18, he looks very, very good, very, very physically built already. Um, he's, you know, he's built like a proper man already. And he's very good on the ball, very creative. Uh, good both ways, defensive and going forward and things. So I think if you look at what he could be in, when he's 25, which is seven years away, you know, he's going to be a serious player, I think. Yeah, he definitely is. Yeah, as, as I said earlier, at least he's probably one of the bars of the uh, bars of the summer. And I think there'll be a few, uh, you know, bigger Premier League sides 
below Chelsea in the food chain, but above Southampton, who will be thinking we've missed the trick hugely in not making a move for him. Uh, and that's a testament to Southampton's recruitment. Really good buy. Yeah, so in terms of predictions for this one, I'm not really... I'm a bit confident because I think it's, you know, it's at Anfield and things like that, but then Southampton just generally do tend to cause us a few issues, I think, specifically away from home over the past few years. They have been really, really good. They don't just kind of... They're not one of them sides that, that lie down. Um, they are suited to facing a team like Liverpool in a way in terms of council pressing and things like that, getting Liverpool on the break. I think they're generally more capable than some other teams when it comes to doing that. So, I think I think Liverpool will win, Dave. I'm not sure about you, but I don't think it'll be an easy ride, this one. I actually disagree, to be honest. I, uh, I, I'll i be honest, I, I fancy Liverpool to get quite a quite a comfortable win in this one. I think although Southampton's form has improved a little bit, they've just been beat by Norwich, bottom of the league. I know they'll be on a new manager bounce, but... Uh, I think Liverpool at home look really strong this season, uh, so I, I fancy them to. I fancy Liverpool to make it like work. I'm actually, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking around three nil. To be honest, I, I wouldn't put a dramatic scoreline past it. I think I agree with you when it comes to the scoreline. Actually, I just mean in terms of the performance. Um, I just feel like they will. They've, they've proved over the years, in my opinion, that that they can give Liverpool a game. I think. It's obviously a little bit less the case at Anfield, um, and I do think Liverpool just have enough quality in both penalty boxes to to win it quite comfortably. And I agree with you when you're saying that in terms of like a two 0 or a three 0 but in terms of the performance, I'm just never really sure that you'll get you'll get an easy ride against Southampton. I think they're generally decent when it comes to facing, you know, the the top of the league type type teams. I think Chelsea generally have a few issues against them earlier in the season. Uh, they generally do okay against City, I think. Apart from getting beat 9 0 the odd time by Manchester United. Well, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That's happened twice in like two years. So, yeah, just, just to round up then, mate. Uh, just a general state of play of the league. Obviously, Liverpool, I think, uh, is it four points behind Chelsea? Uh, yeah, four points behind Chelsea. Um, second best goal difference. City a point ahead of Liverpool. I'm assuming you think it's. It's out of three teams. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, the, the league table kind of speaks for itself, doesn't it? Obviously, you got West Ham within touching distance, but you expect, although I think West Ham will have a really strong campaign, you know, you expect them to drop off a little bit as the game starts to accumulate. Um, I think Manchester United may, depending who they bring in, finish the campaign strong, but not enough to, to threaten the uh, front three. And, yeah, it's, it, it, it. Honestly, I couldn't tell you who'll win out of those three teams, though. I think, uh, you know, performance-wise, they're the, the, the comfortably better than the whole league. They're, they're almost in a bit of a league of their own. Uh, and results-wise, I expect them to keep picking up points as well. So, it will be interesting. Just, uh, just quickly, Josh, are you are you on FB Ref by any chance? Yeah. Have a look at the um, the XG goal difference. Uh, and have a look at. Yeah, I am. The, I am looking at that. Yeah. It's interesting at now, isn't it? Well, I was just going to say, one of the things about that is, according to the numbers, really, the, the worst of the three currently has a three-point lead um, in, in, the, in the Premier League table. Chelsea, looking at the, the, the three teams, look the least convincing on, on the numbers side of things. Um, but what I will say, though, about that is, I think a lot of, a lot of that can be attributed to Chelsea getting hammered by City. 
and Chelsea playing 45 minutes with 10 men against Liverpool. I think if you remove those, the gap probably shortens a little bit. But I still do think that City are... In the, I mean, they, they did prove it at the bridge. They, they completely outplayed them for 90 minutes. I've never seen anything like it, really. Because Chelsea had a top side. Um, but I think Chelsea, out the three, are the least convincing numbers-wise. But they do just have that that strength as a team, the hunger as a team. They obviously haven't picked up a title in the past few years. Liverpool and Chelsea, uh, Liverpool and Manchester City have. Um, and I think generally Chelsea are just so much stronger than every other Premier League team that they could easily win all of those games, but but lose whenever they face Liverpool and City, and probably still have enough in the bank to win the league. So yeah. I don't necessarily think the best team will win the league. It just has to be, to an extent, the team that can beat everybody else, almost, if you see what I mean. It might come down to head-to-heads, it might, but it could it just be... It doesn't feel like it, does it? I feel like it, in, in the last few seasons with Liverpool City, that was a thing, but maybe not Maybe not this time around. Um, well, with Chelsea thrown in there, it's it's interesting that it's kind of a three-way thing now. So it's not just a head-to-head, it's like, a, you know, there's six games there in total that... That, that can decide. Obviously, a few of them have already been played, but you know it's going to be interesting. Just, just quickly, we should probably contextualise for the people who you know are listening that the the xg xg goal, uh, you know, basically the xg difference. So that's uh, xg versus xg against. It has uh, Liverpool on plus nineteen point four, City on eighteen plus one, but then Chelsea down on nine point nine. Um, and we've touched a little bit on what, what could be impacting that over still a relatively small sample size of 12 games but you, you kind of see Liverpool and City in this league of their own and then Chelsea who are you know one of that three a, a, a lot a lot different in, in terms of the numbers they've got there just just as a side note on that as well Liverpool and City looking in the league of their own then Chelsea looking in the league of their own as third I think West Ham Look in a league of their own as fourth, yeah, and, and then you've got a big group of teams in the middle end. But West Ham look comfortably the fourth best team in the league at the minute, yeah. so it's going to be interesting to see. You know, United with a new coach, Conte's influence over the course of the season, whether West Ham are able to to nick fourth or whether they'll just gradually fall out. But they, they look strong. Yeah. Also, shout out to Palace as well. They're they're below, aren't they? They're below West Ham fifth and. Uh, I mentioned a week or two ago, but in terms of just doing a little bit of analysis, they they had arguably the toughest first ten games of the season, you know. So and you could make a case that their fixtures are going to get easier, but despite having that tough run, uh, the the show was one of the best sides in the, in the league, you know, outside that top four. So testament to what they've been doing. Yeah, in terms of the the expected goals table, Liverpool have the best attack. Uh, fairly comfortably. Liverpool top for XG. Second is City, third is Chelsea, fourth is West Ham. And on the defensive side of the game, City comfortably top, then Chelsea, then Crystal Palace, and then Liverpool. Uh, really interesting to see how Patrick Vieira is getting on there, but I think if, if Liverpool are going to win the league or if Liverpool are going to make the performances even better, it is the defensive side of the game that Liverpool can probably focus on, can probably improve upon. As we spoke on earlier on the Arsenal game and how Liverpool started that game relatively cautiously, I wouldn't be surprised if control was kind of a a really important 
element that was kind of drummed into the players before the match and they acted upon that when they got on the pitch. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, unless you were in, so have Dave, Dave we'll, we'll round up and have a bit of a shorter one this week. Yeah, I mean, no, it's uh, it'll be as I said, it'll be really interesting to see what happens with Chelsea. I think that's just on that last segment that that'll that's a takeaway because they look really good, they do look really good, but the caveats of um, you know, being well played by City, okay, draw at Liverpool, uh, battered, but down to 10 men, hard to take too much from that. But it'll just be interesting to see whether that those performance numbers level out a little bit or whether they drop off because it'll, it'll it's guaranteed to go one way or the other. Yeah, so uh, we'll round up there anyway. So, um, yeah, Dave, thanks for joining us, mate. Cheers, mate. Cheers, everyone. Yeah, and we'll be back next week. So uh, do tune in and we'll see you then. You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel.